All right, time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. And boy, Vaughn, that story really started it yesterday, the one that we were talking about. Yeah, it really did. It was interesting how quickly so many people got it right away what was wrong. You had a proposal to add eight spaces to a childcare center next to a park in Vancouver. And the Board of Variants in Vancouver turned it down because a handful of neighbors protested that it would destroy the character of their neighborhood, create parking problems, and otherwise affect their quality of life. Now, eight children, supposedly they're going to be noisy when they're out playing in the playground across the street (laughs) from the park. I love the parking one, right? Like, the children are not using parking spaces. In fact, if you know anything about childcare, you know what's actually happening is their parents are dropping them off in a rush and leaving the neighborhood immediately because they're late for work. Yeah, they're not going to park their car there all day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no. And the, the quality of life, I mean, I, I think I heard a lot of people hit the roof on that one. They're going... Eight children are going to destroy the character of your neighborhood? This is ridiculous. Um, You know, Vaughn, the thing that gets me too is there's a lot of neighborhoods in Vancouver where people will complain that there are the sounds of no children, that there's nobody playing outside, that they're lifeless, that people aren't walking down the street, that it's not lively. I have heard that complaint in Vancouver neighborhoods more than anything else. And here you have the opposite, and apparently that's too much. So my colleague Dan Fumano, who did the first piece and promised us part two, he's got part two in the paper today and a lot more information in there, points out that Vancouver has one of the worst records of providing child care of any city in Canada. There's a shortage of 15,000 spaces, uh, pointing out that this thing was killed by eight people, so eight children, eight people who went to the Board of Variants and protested, and the board caved to them. And pointing out, you know, Fomano talked to some parents who are trying to line up childcare in a city where there's damn little of it. And they're saying, you know, I'm working, I'm busy, I didn't even know about this. And so you didn't have eight parents needing childcare showing up at the Board of Variants a meeting at one o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, who's got time uh, for that? You, yeah, you the the people who look. <laughs> I I will I will stereotype my own slice of the demographic. The people who have time to go and lobby a board of variants to prevent a childcare center from opening in their neighborhood or expanding. Um, they have an awful lot of time on their hands, and they have a lot of money as well uh, in general, and so. This is not a low-income neighborhood. This is where uh, people can organize themselves and did in this case. So there's plenty of grounds for the outrage. I will say the thing I found most refreshing was that my colleagues' excellent reporting on this got a lot of attention across our industry. An awful lot of people retweeted that story, expressed outrage and indignation, 
And Simi, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the city of Vancouver to reverse that decision. Oh, no kidding. Uh, in fact, you know, because of Dan's great work, and people should read it, Dan Fumano, Vancouver Sun, uh, we have Mike Klassen, Vancouver City Councilor, coming on in about half an hour. He's not happy about it. We're actually going to talk to one of the people who was opposed to it, too, a little bit later in the show, and he can tell us for himself why he was so opposed. Oh, and also, a, was it That's a brave person. That's I thought so. I thought so. Uh, well, we'll find out, right? there's a mob with tarred feathers out there circling <laughs> there's still looking for these people. Two hours to go on that one, so we'll see what happens. But also, what's interesting was uh, Housing Minister Ravi Kalon's reaction. Yeah, so it is refreshing, I have to say, to find a, a cabinet minister who is well briefed on a breaking story and willing to provide a comment. He's housing minister. He's not the minister of child care, but my colleague Katie DeRosa put the question to Kalon in the middle of another story yesterday. And the minister came right back and he said, look, uh, we have a big problem, which is a large number of neighborhoods that have no children in them because families can't afford to live there. And obviously, if you're going to have families living in a neighborhood, having convenient access to childcare is part of it. So he says, this is a ridiculous decision, speaking for an awful lot of people. And he said, the Board of Variants should reverse itself in Vancouver and recognize this was a mistake and reach a different decision. So that's a provincial cabinet minister sending a message. Good follow-up question. The follow-up question is, would the province consider stepping in? So the minister's careful. He says the government is getting ready this fall to expedite approval for housing projects in municipalities. We're getting legislation on that. We know it's coming. But he said, look, in the long run, if we're having trouble locating childcare centers in some of our municipalities, provincial government may have to step in and regulate that as well, which is, I think, a very important message to the city of Vancouver on this. I think I think you're probably going to hear from the city that this board of variance was in place yes. before the ABC council was elected. So it's not their people. And it may just be the way the legislation is written now to protect single family neighborhoods character that the Board of Variants reached the only decision it could reach. Okay, so we will talk to Mike Klassen about that uh, coming up for sure. But it was interesting to hear, though, how quickly the provincial government responded to this. You don't often hear that. Well, you don't. And, you know, we all have the experience in our industry of uh, asking for a comment from the ministry and we get told the minister is not available or we get a note back with a series of quotes that could be attributed to the ministry, but no follow ups available. Or you hear, ask a minister a question live and the minister says, well, it's not my ministry. You should talk to so and so. He didn't do the housing minister didn't do that on anything. He was briefed. He took the question and he gave us a good answer that, you know, recognize that this is an important story, one with provincial implications in the long run. And the provincial government is well aware of this. And it may, if the city of Vancouver doesn't fix the problem, it may have to consider stepping in hmm. with legislation to make it easier to locate child care centers. Can't let the day go on without getting some kind of transportation update between the mainland and the island. Yes. Hello. Hello. They're uh, in service Wednesday. Yesterday, everybody, well, a lot of people on the island anyway were going, okay, how's this going to go? Passenger only service, then I'm out of Vancouver. 70 minute run. That's pretty fast. Uh, a lot faster than ferries. 
And it's cheaper than ferries, too. If you're driving, you can't take your car, but you can get over there one way, what, 40 to 60 bucks. So I think there's an awful lot of people on the island, in Central Island particularly, Nanaimo, hoping this works. And it sounds like the first trip went well. Uh, colleague uh, Les Lane, um, my counterpart at the Victoria Times columnist, took the ship over and back and generally favorable. Les does, however, detail in his piece in the paper today, Simi, that there have been a lot of failures in the past of attempts to provide a passenger-only ferry service between the island and the mainland. So understandable that people would be apprehensive and skeptical, even if they're hoping for the best. Right. And there's, I mean, it's a little bit different, right? It goes pretty fast. Yeah. It goes fast. I, <laughs> you know, I... I guess it makes sense. It's got seatbelts. Yeah. Uh, and he says, well, there's a reason for that. Uh, it hits 40 knots. Like, so that's like 75 kilometers an hour. You're driving along a road in one of our towns and the ferry went past you because it's faster than you are. So, yeah, that's an issue. Uh, the other issue is weather and waves. So these are catamarans. And one of the reasons they gave for not sailing on Monday and Tuesday was wave action. It was a, an unusual weather condition in the strait. The strait can be very rough waters. So the question arises, well, hey, you can't handle the waves in August. What's it going to be like in November to February when the weather can be a lot rougher along the coast? Uh, the ferry service says uh, they think they can maintain service uh, roughly the same level as BC ferries. BC ferries has to cancel at times too particularly on the southern run, because the Tawasan Ferry Terminal is exposed. So they say they'll be able to compete uh, on reliability of service with BC Ferries. Everybody on the island knows that there are days when BC Ferries doesn't sail either. So again, I hmm. wish them luck. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of questions out there, but I think, and I said this yesterday, I think, I think BC Ferries would be happy if somebody could make a go of passenger I think so, service yeah. because at BC Ferries, the idea has been kicked around at BC Ferries as well that they should be thinking about this. Uh, the ferry service has its hands full providing vehicular traffic uh, and service and walk-on passengers out of its existing terminals. I don't think there's any desire at BC Ferries to get into the passenger service business if some private company can make a go of it. Okay, so speaking of which, though, let's talk a little bit about BC Ferries here, too. So I see we have mechanical difficulties reported again today. Uh, there have been, uh, you know, a couple of services. I think one, uh, Coastal Renaissance, interrupted again. Uh, the other thing is a rumor mill, something that popped out this week. So the Ferry Corporation opened talks, wage talks, with the Ferry Workers Union early, 10 months early. And they did it because they've accepted that one of the challenges in attracting, attracting workers to the ferries is a wage gap and that wages haven't kept up uh, at a level necessary to attract unionized personnel at, at different levels. So the ferry said, okay, let's talk early about uh, contract talks. And they did enter into talks. The rumor mill, Simi, says those talks are not going all that well, that the union has quietly been advising its members, saying, don't make a big deal of it and go blab to the news media, but uh, the talks are not going well. They're at an impasse. So, you know, uh, 
supposition, the ferries came in with an offer to the union and the union went, doesn't begin to address the problem. So, well, it's early in the talks. And again, there's something that one hopes they can sort it out because if the ferries can't attract uh, the skilled workforce for the future, we're going to have this constant problem that occurs where one person doesn't show up for work because they book in sick or there's a vacancy or there's no backup. And Transport Canada rules are rigid. You cannot sail without the full complement of crew. So uh, there's going to have to be an attention turned to those talks. And if, you know, in the long run, they're at an impasse, if they can't sort it out, I suppose it'll be what we always say in British Columbia. Sammy, this is a job for Vince Ritty. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does get the job done, right? He got the transit strike done. So He does. His, his record is actually phenomenal. And, uh, you know, he's... Uh, He's not as old as me, but I, they must be. We should be thinking in British Columbia whether can we clone this guy or, or you know, sort of preserve him uh, in some kind of means so that he's available to solve our labor problems in the future. Because he does seem to be the only, uh, certainly the only well-known person with the magic touch here in British Columbia. Well, they've got time, right? As you said, this is they open yeah. talks 10 months early and they should recognize that this is a problem that ferry systems are having everywhere, whether it's Washington State or across Canada, uh, attracting workers. So they're going to have to get really competitive. Uh, yes, that's true, Simeon. You know, again, it in, in many ways is a problem right across the economy. We are seeing shortages in any number of areas. I, I think a couple of things happened for a long time. We've been hearing warnings from people who study the workforce that the aging population means that sooner or later the boomers are going to retire. And they're retiring in significant numbers. And that process, Simi, may well have been accelerated by the pandemic. I think we've seen some evidence of that, too. So you've got uh, a shortfall in the workforce that wasn't there in the past. So, yeah, there's an awful lot of competition for these jobs as well. And I think that's another thing the ferries are up against. So full credit to the Ferry Corporation for realizing it, starting the talks early and I guess when you think about it, you know, the employer comes in with an offer and the union goes, you're not close to being what it needed. That's the nature of bargaining as well. So we shouldn't get into too much of a panic yet. All right. Thank you for that. Bye bye, Simi. That is Von Palmer from the Vancouver Sun.